0: I mean, I'm trying to think back, like when I was six, like what grade are you? in when you're six, I mean, honestly, I loved when I remember, I remember playing with my Barbies and loving Wham. (laughs) I loved Wham. I loved Never Gonna Dance Again. I would make my Barbies dance together. George Michael.
1: That's that's really amazing. I really like that a lot. (laughs) Oh, we had. Uh, oh, we did our. We we did we did the homework from the last round. We uh, Tommy had us take a black and white photo. We posted it and in the community. Did. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, you that did. That was uh, a lot of
0: fun. And we did, did it. We did. You did something
1: organic, didn't you? Organic. Well, like a plant or something, didn't you? No, I did
0: a Christmas tree that was in Christmas the lobby tree. of where I That's live. That's right.
1: That's what you did. You did a Christmas <laughs> tree. That's right. No, I really I really love that. And some other people posted it as well. And. I, I liked that he, he pressed, and I did this. He pressed so hard on the try different angles and get light to show up in different ways. Yes. Um, and that was, um, that was fun. It was a good exercise. And it got it my exactly exercise. what I needed is to get my brain in that, in that mode.
0: So. Yeah. So if anyone is wondering, what are you guys talking about? You can head over to our Facebook page. Cause we do fun challenges at the end of each episode. We have a fun challenge Usually we ask the guests to give a challenge. We should maybe ask our guests in advance to come up with a challenge instead of on the spot. But it is really fun on the spot, <laughs> and and then we get to and 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 we're posting stuff in there all the time just to kind of get our creative juices yeah. going. Sean, you're you're really good about that since you do all your workshops for writers and stuff. So I uh, I actually have a couple I need to that I need to do in the group that you posted that I really like. And yeah, get fun. busy.
1: So I know we, uh, I have homework. Who do we, but, uh, we're talking to one of your friends today.
0: Yes, we're talking to my friend Flows, and she is an incredible human being. She is a writer. She is a healer. She is a, she, she's just an incredible human being. And when I think about beautiful writing and creativity and the concept of create for no reason. She is one of the first people that I think of because she just does so much out of the pure joy of it. She loves to just play like I've seen her. She has published a few books of her beautiful poetry and the way that she shows up in the world is, is inspiring because she just does things like the other day she i I was I saw on her Instagram she had shaved her head I'm like why did you decide to shave your head she said I don't know and I just decided to shave my head and so and it looks so great on her and she just lives this very magical in my eyes, like this magical life of like writing and doing and meeting people and expressing herself in all of these creative ways. And she lives out in California now and she's just fun.
1: Right on. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. You're making her sound like a a shaman. Uh, So that means (laughs) it's going to be a blast. Let's uh, let's get her on here. Hey there, welcome to the show. Create for no reason is a support group for creatives. Creating takes consistency, courage, and heart. Surrounding yourself with others who understand your challenges and won't let you give up is the secret to winning. It's a little like church. It's a place to go when we start doubting, comparing, and overthinking who we are and what we want to do. Create for no reason is a place to go when our inner critic is a little too loud. Let's get cooking. (laughs) <laughs> I had Kate uh Kate was doing your introduction and uh and gushing uh about Aww. how how brilliant you are and uh it made it sound like you're a a, a shaman or some kind oh, of wow. a healer so I'm yeah. expecting to get fixed uh emotionally
0: <laughs> It's already done you're fixed
1: <laughs> <And> sp- <laughs>
0: That's it she that did it. is it. Don't even well, ever I, I, anything. I'm so <laughs> excited to be talking to you because I, I told Sean that the two of you needed to meet and just hang out in general, because you are, you are both, I so love both of your writing styles, very different, but in different, so it's very different, very unique. And I so appreciate your styles in different ways. And I just feel like you guys would have so much fun talking about the creative process and writing and how you come up with stories. And I would just want to be part, I don't even need to be part of the conversation. I just want to be there to like experience everything. So (laughs) we're so grateful that you came on the show flows. Welcome. Um,
2: me too i'm so excited and she has definitely been telling me for at least i want to say five months that i need to be you know i need to meet you so
1: oh that's no pressure Uh, (laughs) (laughs) for for either of us right
0: (laughs) yeah hopefully you guys like each other otherwise you'll be like what is she talking about never take a recommendation from her
1: <laughs> what she uh, I mean, one of the things I've been most interested in is I I, I I i'm I seem to always be trying to turn people into poets, but I don't get to talk to somebody that writes poetry very often. Like once I graduated, uh, it's creative writing major way back in the day and it was poetry and fake. but once that happened it was rare I would run into anybody that plays with words in that way um I mean I try to Kate does Kate you know what I'm sorry I said that Kate's a poet <laughs> and I just acted like she's not I've I've read your poetry Kate uh that's all that no. the definition is, right?
0: I don't know that I would call it that. But but Floes Flows not only writes poetry, but has she even has a few books. You've published a few books that people can get on Amazon. And
2: yeah. but I would say Kate definitely is a poet. I feel like she is also an incredible prose writer. And she like is somewhere in the hybrid between poetry and like short fiction. <laughs> like it's your stuff is really cool.
0: Oh, Mm flows that like it that so flows and I used to I she we would we still try we just don't do it regularly but during the whole quarantine situation we were doing a pretty regular weekly get together where we would write together and well we were supposed to get together to write together but we ended up getting together to read each other's work and give feedback and it was. It's so much fun. We, I have so much fun doing it. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to provide value to this like incredible writer? And so, but it was so much fun. I feel like I loved hearing what you had to say about my work. And I loved kind of, I loved that I get, to, that I got to share a perspective that helped you in some way. So it was just like so much fun. I love it.
1: Oh, I love that. I feel well, like everybody how-
0: needs that in the creative process. Mm-hmm. They do. Absolutely.
1: They do. Flos, how did you get interested in in writing and specifically poetry? Is it something you've done your entire life or is it something you kind of came to later on?
2: Yeah, survival. Honestly, (laughs) I feel like a lot of poets I know, it's been a means of processing really heavy stuff.
3: Mm -hmm. And so that
2: was the case for me. Like I started writing poetry at eight years old and I was not only new to the United States, having left Haiti under really terrible political situations. My dad was a great guy, a great politician, but, um, things are quite unstable in, in mm-hmm. Haiti. Like we're seeing in America right now. That's I know. Sort of, not
1: know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> know what things look like, um, during many political transitions. So leaving sort of that traumatic situation. Ooh. All right. Are we still on?
1: Yeah, we're still on.
2: Got cut off. Okay. Um,
1: No, we're going to keep the ring, too. (laughs) We'll make it poetic in some way.
2: I'm just going to shut it off. I I had no idea I was going to do that. Um, But anyway, so that's sort of why I started writing, processing being new to the U.S., processing having left all of my family, all of my friends behind. And I also went through trauma as a child. So Mm -hmm. as I started needing to, like, I don't know, understand what was happening to me at 10, 11 years old, I just turned to the page and mm-hmm. anytime it came to reading, I went for poets. I went for Nikki Giovanni. I went for Maya Angelou Langston Hughes and that really just started my love of poetry. And they were always, you know, short or they were like narrative or performative. And so mm-hmm. something about it really just captivated me.
1: Yeah. Well, because, it, well, poetry good poetry uh, for me, it, it, it sticks because it's, it's been whittled down to that essence of the, the sound, the rhythm It's that cross between um, well, I don't know. Good writing, good prose can also be musical in a sense that when you read it, you can feel the the rhythm and it kind of, it pulls you forward uh, as it goes. But poetry certainly, certainly does that. What do you think it is about poetry that helps? Because I agree with you hundred percent. I've experienced the, a lot of similar things. I mean, I didn't grow up in Haiti, but uh, <laughs> child, child of trauma, I turned to the page. And that was something that I, I, I definitely did early on. But, but I don't know if I understand it. But what do you think it is about poetry that becomes um it, 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 that helps us transmute or helps helps people understand or digest or wrestle with um, some of those difficult subjects. Mm.
2: I think for me is, it felt more accessible. Like I know a lot of even, I'm thinking of Langston Hughes poems and I'm thinking of some shorter, Nikki Giovanni and Maya Angelou poems. They just felt accessible to me as I was learning English. But I also think now having a good grasp of the English language, I still will often turn to poetry for that like heavy emotional connection. I don't know, something about it just really captivates me. I don't know if it's because it's so descriptive if it's because the writer has boiled down so much shit into just, you know, a few stanzas, and so it just punches. Um, But I also have a lot of friends who are like, I just don't understand poetry, and I don't get how they can't understand poetry, because to me, when I read it, it's it's like, it's a language of the heart. It's a language of emotion. It tells, I mean, it's historical. It's like, it's everything in less than a page. And
0: I just find it incredibly powerful.
1: Uh, I think I, it's, it, yeah.
0: How do you, so it's so funny when you say that because I I feel like I'm talking to two people who totally get it. You get the writing process, you you live it, you breathe it. Like you, it's everything. And I am more one of those people that are like, I don't, not that I don't get it or understand. I want to so much more than I do. And so I'm exploring it. But I think a lot of people, like you said, you feel like this, that it's accessible where I feel like most people don't think it is accessible, right? Like even when we talk about writing and and we'll talk about your right to heal workshop, but I feel like writing is such a great way to get out all these emotions, but most people don't do it because they feel like it's this monster or thing that they can't, that they don't know how to do. And so I love that you talk about it. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, I cut you off.
0: No, it, it, we, I think it's so important to explore, but it it for, for those of us or for people that don't feel like they're creative or don't feel like they're writers, like how do you even start or how do you even know what, Sean and I have talked about this, how do you even know what poems to look at? Or when I read a poem, Sean describes the poem and it means certain things to him. And I'm thinking, how did you get that from the poem? I want to explain a poem that beautifully. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Honestly, I think academia sometimes makes poetry inaccessible. That's mm-hmm. like my biggest criticism. So I, I started at poetry just writing feelings, trying to uh, imitate, you know, some people I admired. And that was my introduction to poetry. Had my introduction been in college or in high school where it was being taught to me as, I mean, I'm trying to even think of all the different types of rhythmic poetry. Sean mm-hmm. might know better than me. Um, I don't have a mathematical brain or I don't have a strong mathematical brain. And I think poetry can be mathematical. Like once you break it down to rhythms and stresses and all of that stuff, that can make it really scary. And I know for me as a poet, um, I got to a point where I was like, I want to learn how to write all these different types of poetry. So I toyed around with them in college, but I went back to writing sort of narrative and descriptive poetry because it just felt more fluent for me. And I do think poetry sometimes does feel inaccessible because there are some academic poets out there who, you know, very much look down at those of us who just write viscerally. And I think that's the thing that's scary because it's like, how can you get this thing right? And for me, the way that I answer that question is just to start writing. Like I think about Mary Oliver. She started writing. It was for survival, a child of trauma Mm -hmm. again. And she did what she could. She went out into the woods and the spirit spoke to her and she turned it into these things that were poems. And she was one of the greatest poems <laughs> like ever, uh, poets ever. And so if, if people are feeling afraid of poetry, I would just say, just write. And then like as you start writing, I think more poetry will sort of reveal itself to you. And other writers who write like you do will reveal themselves to you. But if you look at academia first, you're definitely going to get turned off.
1: Yeah, I got, I got, I got lucky with one teacher with poetry. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was a teacher that um, every day, so every day we had to read uh, uh, one poem, and he would tell us which poem it was. So it it could be Richard Wilbur, it could be Langston Hughes, it could be Mary Oliver, it could be some of like Kerouac's really bad stuff about dreams or whatever. So we would do that. And then we would have to Uh, just fill out one page. It was in a, uh, it was in a notebook, uh, a composition notebook. We had to fill out one page that just explains what we see or what we notice. And, and instead of it being, sometimes there's too much pressure to get it right. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that he, he would explain it is for each person that's there, each of us, it's like we each have, have our own unique, um, it's a locked briefcase or a tr- treasure chest or something like that. He says you're just trying to open that up based off of what you find in the poem. So play with it, look at it, do things with it, and that's probably the one class. Because before that, I would just write whatever I felt, or I would mimic songs. Uh, I would even try to do uh, verse length by verse length of a Cyndi Lauper song and just change the words just to put something together. But that that definitely definitely changed it to me. I love that you brought up Mary Oliver. Because of the way that she started and then she's published. I actually one of my favorite books about poetry is the, I think it's called the Poetries, the, the, the Poetry Handbook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best books on poetry. Um, and and she explained, like she goes over the different styles and the different rhythms and the way to take a look at it. It's really, really really Ooh, wonderful. what's
0: it called i need to get that book
1: the poetry it's poetry is it the poet's handbook or yeah poetry it's a,
2: either the poetry or the poet's handbook i have i have it it's like a little yellow and white notebook i know i
1: want to go grab it just... <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's at my house in california and i'm in florida so i can't reach for it but th- you're so right and I, I think too that's what's scary about it sometimes is if you take a poetry class and i think it depends on your teacher and your professor too and they position it as it's your own interpretation because the reality is we are we all view life through a different lens. So how uh-huh. I view a poem is gonna be different than how you view it, Kate, versus how Sean views it. And I think if we approach any sort of art or writing with that lens, it's less scary for people because they can relate as a human being and they don't have to pull out a binder and say, well, it's this and this and this and that. And I know. my question <laughs> is, how the heck does that professor know that's what the poet wanted to say? Did they speak to the poet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I That's like totally
0: right. I love
1: that. I mean and
0: flows. Oh, go ahead, Sean.
1: No, no, it's just it's it's one of those scary academic phrases, but it's one of my favorite ones exactly what you're talking about, flows is the intentional fallacy, which is once it's written down, then it doesn't it doesn't matter what the author intended. Like, I mean, if you're having a discussion with him and you want to find out and you're curious about what it is, but once it's a work of art, once it's a poem, once it's a song, once it's a whatever, it's only the, the audience member or the person, it's only their interpretation that matters at that point. And I know there's still debate over the meaning, like how meaning but I really, really love that. I think that going into it with something like that makes it a little bit easier and more accessible for people.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. And I also love, I forget, flows you said something to me one day when I was tr- tr- playing around with I was playing around with a piece and I felt like I couldn't get it right but I didn't I was kind of done with it but not. I felt like I was done playing around with it but it didn't feel like it was finished and then you said something to me that was so cool and I would love for you to share it about the chair in the room.
2: Oh wow. I was like am I first of all I was just like am I going to remember what I said? <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yes, my goodness. There's a great poem. I cannot remember the poet or the title of the poem. Um, But she sort of referred to the writing process as rearranging a room. And that you can always go back and change and move things around. But also talked about the room having a life of its own. And I think that's so true. And I think that also speaks to what Sean just said. Because I it does. It absolutely does. And you don't necessarily have to be present in that room for that life form to continue to to exist and to be. But I'll have to find it, Kate, and I'll have to to send it. And maybe you can add it in the podcast details or something.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. And we can add it in our group just because I thought that was so beautiful how you put it. And it made it so much easier to let go of to let go of that piece and let it live.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And if I wanted to come back to it, I could, but it didn't. It wasn't necessary. And, and I also love the idea of thinking about your work when you do put it out into the world, it being for people, because there are certain things that just resonate with some people for whatever reason, and you don't need to know why, and they might never tell you, you may never know, but that's what I think is so fun about the writing process is looking at what other people put out and what it means to me and how it has inspired me. And so over the past year or two, I have tried, you know, I've, I read a lot of books and most of them are very business books. And so I have been trying to read a lot more, just books on creativity or poetry or things that just kind of expand my mind in, in that realm instead of the, the more business realm. And it is inspired me so much in my writing and it also helps me get a little bit more confident in realizing oh this is everyone feels this same way and that's what I love so much about writing is that there's always pieces out there that when you're reading them you think oh I'm not alone these are all things that people are feeling and doing and I sometimes wonder this person who put this workout that I think is so beautiful they're probably they might be thinking I'm I didn't like it I didn't want to I wasn't comfortable putting it out or I thought it could have been better, but it's like one of the most beautiful things that, that I've ever read. So that's what I love about the presses too, is the whole idea that, you know, it's just so meaningful in different ways and at different times.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So you, you write, so one of the reasons why I wanted to, to connect you and Sean is because you have a right to heal workshop mm-hmm. and Sean does a lot of workshops as well. And I am curious, what inspired you to start this workshop? And I know that you've gotten so much out of it. So I would love to hear what inspired you and what what you see happening in the workshop with the people that you work with.
2: Yeah. So as I said earlier, I've experienced a lot of trauma in my life, everything from sexual trauma to emotional abuse. And as a result, I've done a lot of therapy. I've gone to therapy and I still go to therapy when I'm able (laughs) presently in my life. And all of the things that hel- one of the things that helped me alongside uh, a therapist was writing. So oftentimes I would take anything I'd written, whether it was a poem or just a thought, and we would process that in therapy. And there is such a thing called narrative storytelling and narrative therapy. And um, a couple of years ago, I thought to myself, I just feel like I'm in such a good place in my life and like writing and therapy have helped me heal so much. And I was having a conversation with my friend, Linda, and she was like, you should host a, web- uh, a workshop. Call it Right to Heal. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh. And uh, she's like, just take it, run with it. Like, we don't even have to talk about this again. Uh, She's incredible, uh, Linda. And um, so I took it and I ran with it. But I did nothing with it for two years. So I like planned it out in my head. I thought through what it would look like, but I just never, I never did it. I don't know what was holding me back. But about seven months ago, I was part of a collective of women called Carnal Moon. And they were like, "Floes, you have to host a writing workshop. But I've always been too afraid because I'm like, what gives me the right to host a writing workshop, right? Mm. And so with their push, and we were a collective of six at the time. So five other women telling me I need to do this. I was like, fine, I'll do it. They're like, well, we have, we should charge for it. I'm like, no way. <laughs> like, we shouldn't charge for it. They're like, no, you need to charge for it. I was like, fine, $10. And so we decide on this thing and I start planning it and you know I invite people, 28 people show up and my mind is blown and I do everything from including a grounding five minute meditation at the beginning to including writing prompts to talking about the fact that writing can be therapeutic though it's not therapy, like I do all my homework. And I, you know, send out a survey and the feedback just like blows my mind. Like people were so touched. It was really helpful. And so I hosted, I waited about a month and a half to convince myself again that it would be okay. And I hosted a second one. And again, it was great. I think we had 16 people. And then, so I just kept it up. And luckily for me, uh, I... At the time of the workshop, I was also doing a lot of healing work with imposter syndrome, which is something that comes up for me a lot. And I know it comes up for folks who've experienced trauma as kids, is we're not good enough. Self-worthiness, self-worthiness is really hard. Um, but at the time, luckily, where I was on my journey, I realized the workshop doesn't have to look the same every time. It's okay if one time 28 people show up and six show up and then no one shows up. Like The thing is you create the space and you allow what wants to be to be. And so, with that yes. mentality, I just kept hosting more. And the the deeper I went within myself, and the more I worked on myself, the more I could produce something that helped other people. And so I kept it up, and I hosted six uh, all of in all of 2020. And I'm excited to host some more in 2021. And the feedback again was excellent. So I'm going to use people's uh, survey responses to help inform the ones that I host in 2021. So all like I mean just phenomenal blows my
3: mind
1: (laughs) it's crazy to see how how much it affects people even people who think oh no no I'm not a writer or oh no no no, I can't do this sort of thing or oh no no like I teach workshops with people that don't I I know they don't want to be there Um, like mine's um, rough draft recovery so I go into recovery centers which is a lot of people that are also in therapy a lot of abuse a lot of trauma and then we work together and I'm always amazed at the beginning where they say, "What's the point of this?" Mm. And I'll give them a, a, a you know a, a definition of you know what we're trying to explore and how we're trying to make dis- different types of connections in in our brains and explore our feelings the way it goes out. But by the end, they are excited that they made these types of connections or they came up with something they they didn't think that they were capable of coming up with because it's different than drawing a stick figure where people say, hey, I can't do art, or I can't do something else. I'll say, we're looking for three words to go together. After everything that you write, three words that go together, and you think, oh my god, that's beautiful that I was able to say that, and I was able to make that happen. But it's wonderful seeing people transform like that in uh, in workshops.
2: Yeah. And one of the things I mentioned to folks as well is, like, the story you tell of yourself matters. So, like, Say you come into the workshop and you say I'm not a writer and at the end of it you realize you've done 35 minutes of writing can you mm-hmm. say you're not a writer like you can choose not to write but you are a writer yeah. and like they talk about the fact that science has been a very like I've always said I I don't have a science brain But all of a sudden, I have like a whole, like, I have an anatomy textbook, I'm like reading up about like the brain. And so like, is it that I don't have a science brain? Or have I just been convincing myself that I don't? And once I lifted that belief that I don't have a science brain, I started getting more and more interested in science things. And they're just, it it happens. So if if I say I'm not a writer, then what my brain believes is I'm not a writer. But if I say I'm a writer, and I leave myself open to it, then maybe I, I can be a writer if I, if I choose to use that gift.
1: Yeah. That's so meta because it talks about just the, we're, we're talking about language and the power of language when it comes to poetry yeah. and doing those types of things. But just when saying something like you could say, I'm trying not to drink or I don't drink. You could say I'm trying to be a writer or I'm trying to learn how to write or just say I'm a writer. Uh, that is. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I love that. We, we did a, we did an exercise this week. I just, I can't even cut this out. I want to share it with you because it was one of those things, every time I talked about people about making the the connections that they usually wouldn't make, we, we would struggle with it sometimes. And this week we did an exercise where uh, they had to describe a, a happy place or uh, a, a memory or something that was an, Oh my God, that was great sort of thing, I sort of picked that out. But when they would describe it, it was only uh, one word per line and no sentences. So it would have to be something that you see, taste, hear, smell, or can touch, um, or it could be, uh, well, the feelings that would go together. And then they would just write those down, one word, one word, one word. And and they're just flashes is what I would tell them. And it was it was wonderful because then afterwards you would guess what they were talking about. I have I have one probably the reason I think I uh, this came up is because I'm staring at it that says uh, uh elephants popcorn grease dust tent red white yellow yelling benches poop 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 beauty women men grandpa cameras organ music top hat so it's putting together all these things for a, a happy place tigers bears clowns excitement thrills dreams runaway and then after they after we did that I would ask them to to pick the pick the words that are right next to each other that actually go together but you never would have put them together so for for me I had, po- I had popcorn grease i would never say popcorn grease to describe anything or i have white yelling benches and 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 then i see that and i you know we would circle it on the paper and they'd be like oh my god i'm a poet i can't believe it and i'm like yeah you're a poet that came from you you wrote that you're just identifying it and pulling it together Um, and it's so much fun to see people light up when that happens, because now they can leave, they can tell people they're not a poet if they want, but I'm like, Hey, by the definition of the word, one who writes poetry, you did it. (laughs) Guess what? Yeah. I love that. What type of exercises do you do when you, when you meet with them? Is it like, after you do the instruction and explain Mm -hmm. some of the benefits and what it is, um, what do you do with them after, after that?
2: Yeah, we normally will start with free writing, and then there's usually a prompt. And the prompt could be anything as random as there's a tight belt around my waist, and it's cutting, you know, my airway, and I leave little blanks for them to fill in. But all of these prompts are things I meditate on ahead of time. So they just pop up, and then I leave spaces for them to add really visual language. And then so they do that. And then everybody shares. So another thing that makes it really powerful is whether it's 26 people or 12 people, um, everybody is welcome to share. Like I can't force anyone to share, but what it turns out is I think everyone in every single workshop has shared except for one person. So it's really cool to see people being willing to do that. And so as they hear, and they don't do it it, under my direction, someone will read, read their prompt, and then if someone else identifies with it, then they'll read theirs. And so as they hear other people's prompts, they'll write down, I think I tell them three or four words, nothing big that resonate with them after that person speaks. And then as we close out, we write a collective poem using all of the words they've written.
0: Oh, that's so yes. awesome. That is
1: great. Yeah. It, that's, yeah.
0: So oh for, a, for a non-artist creator, mm-hmm. like I don't create art that right. way, but- I want, I think the space is cool and interesting mm-hmm. and I feel like I want to be involved and just kind of to play around in it. So would that just for, for someone like me, it's really just supporting artists, right? Definitely. Like buying their yes. work
3: and, and being a collector. It big. Yeah. And, and you're in such a, we're, we're in such an early adopted, you know, adoptive phase that you really could and just yeah, like support them, buy certain things, educate yourself on it because it's the, it's the future. That's how we're going to do business. Um, we could get into all of the different things like smart contracts and all of that. But just think of that, that phrase, smart contract, makes me feel good, right? Like I want to have smart contracts when I go and buy a house. I want to have smart contracts when I go. Like regardless of what it actually means, just know that that is the future, like yeah. that we are there now. Um, there's fractional real estate that can happen. Um, that just so like nonprofits can actually sell things um, you know, through the blockchain so that uh, and charities is what I mean. Like they can, you know, you can donate to these charities in such a way and you can kind of like own a piece of it as opposed to just here's my money, do whatever. Um yeah. there's so many applications, utilities for it that Yeah. Don't be afraid.
0: Don't be afraid of all the new things. All right. So (laughs) I feel like, yes, this is, I'm so glad that you're out there sharing the message because it really is important and you really do such a great job of really helping people understand this stuff. In fact, mm. as you guys were talking, I'm like, yeah, I already get this. I know the wallet stuff because Yay. I listened to you talk about it and that's, that's, awesome. and it's really helpful for me. So it's probably also like, I think some people we have to hear it multiple times. I think the first yes. time I heard it, I was like, what? And then the more that yes. I hear it, I'm like, oh yeah, this makes total sense. Exactly. One of the things that I really appreciate about you is that you are an advocate um, for mental health. You are very open about talking about just some of the challenges that you've faced. So in fact, um, I reached out to Brooke and I said, Brooke, can I, t- can I ask you about your anxiety attack? Because I, there was an, that she posted a, a mm-hmm. photo on Instagram that was heard just on the plane looking very upset and had just had an anxiety attack. So I wanted to talk about, talk about that and, and how, how do you deal with anxiety and, and really more so, how does creativity in your life help you when you have those feelings of anxiety? For sure,
3: um, It's interesting. You're using the word anxiety. So let me start by saying, um, so I've, I've dealt with mental illness, my like entire adult life, very traumatic childhood. And, um, you know, kind of have been on this journey of self-awareness, my whole adult life, very spiritual, all kinds of different things. Um, I've been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, bipolar type one, which is manic, uh, shocking, I know, and panic disorder and adjustment disorder. So like all the disorders. My joke is if I get one more, I'll have Yahtzee. <laughs> it lands it lands well I I did that in clubhouse once and because nobody's on the mic I was like oh that didn't really land very well <laughs> like, I hope it after. works yeah <laughs> so and you've been you have to do lots of different medications and different therapies and you know I've done EMDR and, and transcranial magnetic stimulation and uh, all of the things, and because I want to live successfully. Um, and so there's a difference between anxiety disorder and panic disorder. And so, what I was writing in that um, caption on the Instagram post was it's been described as this. So, anxiety, an anxiety attack is different than panic attack. Anxiety is you're looking toward this camping trip that you're taking in a couple of weeks and you're feeling very, very nervous and worried about the fact that a bear could attack you. Uh, panic is when the bear is attacking you in the woods. That's panic. And so panic disorder um, is based in the fight or flight from the PTSD that I uh, have from this childhood trauma. Uh, it was ongoing trauma. So there is, there's different, you know, so many different types of trauma. I think 99% of us do have some type of trauma in our, in our life at some point. Um, mine was very specifically at a certain amount of time in my, uh, you know, age, an, um, an age range as a child. So it can always kind of go back to that. I've done regression therapy, all of that stuff. Um, and so it's always, it's, it's very interesting. So that particular thing was yesterday I was, um, little bit late to the airport. I now live a lot farther from, from the airport. So I was driving there and had to run through the uh, parking lot. And then of course, put my mask on and run through the airport. And um, what I had said was, you know, I live in Idaho um, and I, and I'm self-employed. So I, I, I'm not accustomed to running with a mask on and um, you know, you're breathing very shallow in it. And it's very claustrophobic. And so when I got on the plane and I, the way that you deal with panic attacks is not too deep, not deep breathing because you're already uh, pulling in too much oxygen as it is. So you, you have to blow out all of the carbon dioxide that's built up. So you literally until it's all gone because your body doesn't necessarily know the difference between a, panic attack and just some heavy cardio um mm-hmm. you know i was working out with a a trainer a while back and he'd have me on the incline on the treadmill and i would just I go into active panic attack and be like yeah. I, I can't do this i am i'm an active person i'm healthy i work out um but you're in fight or flight all the time and your body will mimic uh
1: see kate's you can see kate's hair you wouldn't judge her you'd be like oh man <laughs> that looks great. Nice hair, do. <laughs> Why is it called a hair, do? <laughs> nice hair, don't.
0: J- yeah, I don't. don't.
1: <laughs> My hair, don't. Uh, I'm putting it together. No, but seriously, we appreciate the feedback. We love the comments. Um, and love hearing from all of you or just you know if you have our phone number text us text us send me a note on instagram like i even look at the ones where it's like pending you don't know this person i look at those too of course even if we're not friends send them over
0: we will be friends